this past month, we have been focused on Matthew 10 and been talking about the fact that missions begins here. Ministry begins here. In Matthew 10, as we've gone through that over the last four weeks, we've been looking at Jesus when he first sent his disciples out on their first ministry trip. He told them that as you are going, spread the word. It's the same thing he said before he left this word world. The word is the kingdom of God is near. It is what Jesus preached. It is what the disciples preached. It is what the early evangelists preach. And believe it or not, it is the same message that we preach. How do we know the kingdom of God is near? Do any of you pray? Are your prayers answered? Is there comfort in that? Yes. Jesus did not sugarcoat it. He did say, you will face rejection, but don't fret. I have overcome the world. And last week, he said, as you are going, lives will be changed. Because if a heart is turned towards Jesus, that life is changed. We have a hope. And let's remember that our goal is to spread hope. First Peter 1, verse 13. Peter writes, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter reminds us that our hope comes from God. Our hope is revealed in Jesus when Christ came. And our hope is the reason why we do not conform to the norm of this world. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Our hope is built on God's grace. Our hope is built on the acquittal of sin that he gives when we enter into covenant with him. 1 Peter 1 at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish 
or defect. He has chosen you before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And your faith and your hope are in God. You notice Peter says that as followers of the way, followers of Jesus, it's not that we do not think God's going to judge. We do know God will judge. We do know he is an impartial uh, judge. He knows the heart. It is us who stand condemned before him by our actions, all of which he knows. But our hope, our hope of grace is in the blood of Jesus Christ. That having come into covenant with him through that covenantal sacrifice that was made on the cross, that his blood covers our sin, justifies, acquits us of what was before as we live a covenant with God to live the way he has called us, which not only includes our actions and our mind, but also includes sharing that hope. 1 Peter 3, about verse 15 In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. We've talked a lot about that word, haven't we? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You hear what he's saying? You approach people as one who is under grace. Don't give them a reason to accuse. If they accuse, that's on them. Don't let it be on you. Remember, without the blood of Christ, we're in the same position as the rest of the world and we have this hope from Jesus sending out the 12 on that first ministry trip to at the great commission where he admonished the apostles and the disciples the greater group there this hope has been told again and again And Peter keeps telling us, be prepared to give that hope to somebody else. Be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. Friend, saintly sibling, we have a message and a mission. But what's the method? How do we go about doing that? Well, when we look in the New Testament, we see that it was done by sermons that were given to multitudes. You may think of the day of Pentecost. We also see one-on-one instruction going on. You may think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. 
We see compassion that is poured out on the lame and the sick and the blind. You may think of the actions of Peter and John and Paul as they address the suffering for the sake of God's kingdom. We also see friend telling friend that he thinks he may have found what all of Israel has sought and been looking for. Such as Philip when he seeks out Nathaniel, Andrew when he sought out Peter. We see Paul telling wives to influence their non-believing husbands. How? By their action and their devotion. And men, we see Paul also telling husbands to lead their families to know the Lord. So, even in Scripture, we see that the method can vary, though the message never changes. The message remains the same. What reaches one person may not work well with another. However, as we look through Scripture and we see what Paul did, we can see there's a very clear way that Paul went about giving the message. You know what it was? Simply this. Anything that worked. Different places, different times, different groups, different thoughts, all designed to bring them to understand that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. God made flesh, came to this world in order to die for our sin, to be buried and to be resurrected, to show us that death does not hold anything on life because life is a matter of soul, not a matter of flesh. And that in him and in covenant with him, that can be an everlasting life. But remember what Peter tells us, we have to give this in gentleness and respect. Keeping our conscience clear. So that when people speak against us, which does happen, the shame will be on their head and not on ours. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Amen. Would you like to know a method that one man used here in our country to lead as many as a thousand people a year to Christ for over 30 years? This man was responsible for bringing somewhere around 30,000 to people to a life-changing faith in Jesus Christ. Would you like to hear how he did that? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Because, you know, you're kind of a captive audience. You know I'm going to go there anyway, right? This guy right here is the one I'm talking about. 
This is Walter Scott. Walter Scott was a co-founder of our movement, uh, a writer, um, an editor, a very persuasive preacher, probably the most persuasive pe- preacher in the early days of our movement, maybe, maybe even throughout our movement. There are people who would say that Walter Scott was second only to Alexander Campbell in our movement, um, in his effectiveness for the gospel. In the mid-1800s, he came up with a, a simple way to teach kids how to express what God does and how we respond to him. You may have heard of it. It's the original five-finger exercise. Now, I say that because we still do a little bit of this, but we've kind of adjusted it a little bit. But the original five-finger exercise um, was a little different than what you may have, have heard. It's a different day, different audience. But he would say, when you come to faith, Faith should lead you to repentance. Repentance should lead you into baptism, coming into covenant with Jesus. That gives you a remission of sin, which gives you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the promise of God himself, which allows us to hold on to our hope of eternity with him. Now, if you were counting, that sounded like six, didn't it? (laughs) Because that hope of eternity is something that we need. See, Walter Scott would go into a town, and along the time the kids were starting to get out of school, he would stop a few of them on the street, and he'd talk to them a little bit. He'd say, now, I want you to go, and I want you to tell your parents this. I want you to tell them that you know you come to faith. Faith will bring you to repentance. Repentance will bring you into covenant with God through baptism. That will take away your sins, remission of sins, and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can hold tightly to eternity. And he would talk to them, and he would have them go through that. And he would say, okay, now take your hand and don't open it, but go home and think about what we've talked about and go tell your parents what I just told you and tell them I want to be in that tent talking about those things. I want to take a look at these six, the five fingers and the eternal life. There are three of them that really involve human action when it comes down to it. The first is the faith to change the heart. This is more than just a mental assent, more than just an agreement or belief. This is faith. This is belief to the point of action. Faith is what comes out of the belief. It is an action word. It involves commitment and deep trust. It is a recognition that God is real and Jesus is real and I have sinned. And if God is real and Jesus is real, that demands something of me. It demands a changed heart, a change at the core of my being. So, faith, which leads to repentance, repentance to change the life. 
The word used in, uh, in the original language is a word called metanoia. It is a change of mind. Uh, the Jews had this idea of a change of mind. And what it was is uh, it was 180 degrees. I am going this way and now I'm going that way. It was an about face. A change of direction. A change of heart. Repentance is a change of the will. Baptism is a change of state. We've talked about that pretty extensively already this year. But in baptism, we offer ourselves up through immersion. It is a picture of death, burial, resurrection into a new life. It is where we come in contact with the blood of Christ in the waters of baptism and in the Lord's Supper. Both of them are metaphorical. But it is where we come into that blood path of covenant. Friend, we are not born God's children. We are born his creature. We become his children by adoption. Paul speaks of this. In Romans 8.23, it is our adoption into Christ, into the Father, that Paul says we are saved for that hope, that we are to be saved through him. 1 Peter 3.21 Peter writes, baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the body, but the response of a good conscience towards God. It's, it's not the water. It's the covenantal commitment that we are making. It is simple obedience. He goes on to say in verse 22, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone on into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Romans 6, 5, Paul says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life if we are united with him like this in his death we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection now friends you need to get this God's salvation is not unconditional there are clear conditions there in order for him to be Lord, we must give him all that we are. It is curios carries the weight of master-slave in the way we speak of it in English. He is master and we are slave. We're servant. But he has the right to tell us what to do. Let's say for some odd reason, I decided I was going to give you this controller thingy here. 
and it's nice. And let's say for some other bizarre reason, you actually wanted it. (laughs) I could say, Ray, I'd like to give this to you. Is Ray going to have this as long as he is sitting in the pew? No. At some point, Ray's, because I'm not going to come to you. Don't get up. But at some point, some point, Ray's going to have to what? He's going to have to accept it. Yes. Because a gift can be given, but gifts have to still be received. Just because God extends that grace doesn't mean you have it simply because you're breathing. There is a demand on you to come into covenant with him, which means you have to come and do what is your part of that covenant, giving your life over to him. He has offered to make covenant with us by spilling his own blood. And if we are to enter into covenant with him, we must be willing to serve him as Lord of our life. Okay, that's the first three. These last three, five singer exercise and eternity, right? They're actually what God does for us. That fourth one. Remission of sins to cleanse our guilt. Um, uh, a few months back, we did a Sunday school class on uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, hopefully, the, you guys that were a part of that benefited well from that. We may do that again for those of y'all who were not able to be there. Um, Everett Worthington, um, who is a, a professor at University of Virginia, Commonwealth University of Virginia. Um, Forgiveness is his field as a psychologist. And what he describes as forgiveness is letting go of your right to retribution. Letting go of your right to retaliate. You see what God has done through Jesus' death on the cross, as he has chosen to reconcile with us by giving up his right to retaliate for our disobedience. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us he made the first move Colossians 1 21 Paul writes you were once alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm not moved from the hope held out in the gospel 
Now, do you hear it there? God extends the grace. We have to come into covenant. Right? Continue in faith, established and firm, not moved. The forgiveness that God offers in Jesus Christ is just as sure as the punishment that awaits those who refuse to serve God. That fifth thing there, the gift of the Holy Spirit connects us to God. It is God's willingness to be in us and to encourage us. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The promise of Acts 2, 38, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of God himself, the Holy Spirit. And it is a promise to all of those who will come into covenant with Jesus. The Holy Spirit, God giving himself to every believer making us a part of his body, the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit becomes a a counselor, a sustainer, a reminder of all things that Jesus taught and continues to teach us daily. And that last thing, that holding on for eternity, God holds his faithful servants for eternity. And folks, that is the hope. Our hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears To set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day of his return, and that prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly await, looking forward to his appearing. Walter Scott, faith 
brings us to repentance. Baptism brings us redemption of sin and the Holy Spirit so that we can be held for eternity. Remember, the only way we keep the faith is by giving it away. Father God, we thank you for the faithful that have gone before us, not only in that first generation, but throughout time, who held to the truth of your word and have brought us the gospel through your word in such a way that we can understand it, and as simple as it is, you know, Father, sometimes it's tough for us to grasp it, but we know that you always work for the good of those who love you. And we know it is your desire for us to be a part of your family. It is your desire to take away the sins of the world. You showed that on the cross. You showed the truth of that through the resurrection. And Father, we thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. As we come to this moment of, of action, as we come to this moment of, of decision, I pray, Father, that your spirit will move through us in a mighty way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, if you have a decision you want to make public today, now is the